Well, good morning, everyone. Ooh, hot mic. Uh, <clears throat> big thank you to my wife for putting that uh, bumper together. That got me hype, hyped for this, uh, this uh, talk this morning. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, does anybody feel like we are emerging from a tough season? Like, I don't know if you noticed, but we don't have ropes anymore. We're not wearing masks today. Yeah, not just that. We, our high schoolers, our seniors today, like, I think they deserve like an extra round of applause. They did it. I don't even know if we have any in here. I can't really see, but man, it's been a rough season and we did it. We, we did it, guys. We're here. Uh, that's all. I mean, I'm just so excited to be here today. Today, we're going to talk about something that uh, is really important to me. Uh, often whenever I, I, stand up here on the stage, I get anxious before I do because I'm like, oh man, I worry, I hope I'll have enough to say. Like when I teach upstairs, usually it turns out that I have enough to say, but I don't know why. When I get up here, I'm anxious, like I hope I have something that's valuable. But today I had the opposite problem. I was like, last night I was hanging out with Adam. And I was like, all right, man, you got to take an ax to this because I got way too much. Uh, talking graduation Sunday, senior Sunday, uh, just talking about young people, I can I could get up here. Extemporaneous, is that what it's called when you don't prepare? I could do that today. Luckily, I have it. I have notes, I promise. Uh, but I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today because I think it's very, it's important, and I think it could be helpful, too, if, if we're willing to engage and apply what we talk about. If you remember a couple years ago, we didn't have Senior Sunday last year because the whole COVID thing, but if you remember two years ago when I was up here, we talked about the differences between generations. Do you guys remember that? Uh, I want to do a, a quick test. I want to see if you guys know your generations. If you are a traditionalist or one of the golden generation, raise your hand right now. I want to see, yep, okay. First service, I figured we'd have a heavy... Uh, a number of you guys here. These guys, the golden generation, this is my grandparents' generation, so I have nothing but awesome things to say about you guys. You guys, uh, if you don't know, if you were alive at the same time World War II was happening, you are of the golden generation. Your guys' generation was marked by things like World War II, the Great Depression, and one of the common themes of this generation is just the ability to sacrifice for like the greater good. The ability to sacrifice what I want personally for what's best for everyone, right? We had to come together as a country, and I say we lightly, being not alive at this time, we had to come together to defeat evil in a very real way. That's one of the things that shaped the worldview of this generation moving forward. And then that gave way to the boomers. If you're a boomer in here, baby boomer, let's see your hands. Where are my baby boomers at? Yep, baby boomers. When those soldiers came back from war, they were real excited to be back with their ladies, and they started pumping out kids. We had a boom of babies. That's why it's called baby boomers. And these guys, their generation is called your generation. I don't know if you know this. You're referred to as the me generation. Big switch from sacrifice for the greater good to the me generation. You guys are marked by things like suburbs, uh, pretty relative prosperity, and things like TV. When you guys turned on the TV, you had how many channels? One, maybe two, four channels. So pretty much everyone took in the same media content across the country. There was a lot of like 
common experience because of things like this. So you'll see boomers have a lot of very, they're not as diverse as some of the other generations because what they you know, took in was the same. And after the boomers, do you guys, who's next? Gen X. If you're a Gen Xer, raise your hand. Where are my Gen Xers? These guys are born, uh, the boomers stopped around 1964, so around 1965 through 1984, depending on who you ask. Uh, some people say 1979, whatever. Uh, Gen Xers came on the scene, and these guys are known as the cynical generation. These guys uh, had things like no-fault divorce, right? No-fault divorce, so families could split, and you didn't have to have a, a, like a what would have been considered a real reason before. So uh, these kids grew up in a lot more broken homes than before, and they had things like Watergate. They saw politicians lying on television, like politicians have always lied, but not in, like, in such an obvious way, like people got caught. And so this generation is known as the cynical generation, which gave way to my generation. Who's a millennial in here? Millennial? Yeah, raise them proud, guys. We're the... We're the Man, there were like three of us in this room. Scott, you guys are millennials too. You're on the line. Put your hands up. So we are known as the entitled generation, and there's literally nothing we could do to shake this reputation, apparently. Uh, I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned millennials, and he said, well, to me, a millennial is just somebody who's entitled, somebody who wants the government to pay for everything and everybody to pay for everything. And, I, and he's like... He was surprised when I said, actually, millennials are just people born between these two like, time periods. If you're born in the 80s and 90s, you're most likely a millennial. Like I said, depending on who you read, there's a little bit of gray area in the ends of these generations, right? But uh, we millennials were told that we were special growing up, and doggone it, we believed them when we said it. I, I just spent the last week, uh, my sister just had her second kid. She has a one and a half year old and now like a month old. And so me and my wife uh, went and helped him. And one of the things we did that I thought was really fun is we watched some of the shows uh, like from our childhood. We, we threw them up on the TV uh, through YouTube and AirPlay and an Apple TV. If you're, a gener- or if you're a golden era, you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's okay. Uh, but we threw it up on the TV, it was really fun. And I wrote down some of the lyrics because uh, I thought this was like uh, just a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Millennials, we grew up watching Barney. You guys know Barney, Purple Dinosaur? And one of the songs that Barney sang was, these, these are some of the words, you are special, you're the only one like you. You are special, you're the only one who can do the things that you do. This is, this is what we grew up with. And I was really surprised, like I haven't watched Barney in 25 years, uh, but whenever we turned it on, I knew every single one of the songs they were like locked away in some part of my brain that I haven't accessed in two decades, but it was still there. And uh, I think that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about these generational things. What happens when you're a kid, even if you don't consciously think about it every day, like what is normal in the world that you grow up in, it becomes the filter which, through which you see the world through the rest of your life. And today, I want to introduce you to a new generation. The generation that uh, if you are graduating college, so we've got some college seniors today, if you are graduating college all the way down to, like if you're alive, there's probably gonna be some sort of, you know, 
generational divide at some point. I'm guessing the pandemic might be like the line that we say for the next generation. That's not out yet. So let's just say for the sake of today's conversation that Gen Z is anyone college age and down. Is that fair enough? Can we do that? We'll fudge it a little bit. We got some, yeah, raise your hand if you're Gen Z. I almost forgot. We've got a handful. We got more Gen Zs than millennials in here, or at least more proud Gen Zers than millennials in here. And I'm sorry, I'm gonna go to this a lot. I get cotton mouth every time I hit this stage. I have no idea why. Uh, but my goal today is to do a couple things. The first thing I wanna do is introduce you guys to Gen Z. I wanna talk about some of the things that make these, uh, this generation who they are, what, what they use as their filter through the world. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna use an exhaustive list. There are some pretty important ones that I'm gonna leave off. But for the sake of an introduction, right? This is, uh, what do you call, uh, over the survey class, right? This is just a survey class. I'm gonna hit the high points. Uh, and then, second half, I wanna talk about baking disciples of this generation. What does it look like for us to make disciples of these new young people who are living in a very different world, right? They've experienced a pandemic um, at a time that it might have even been a bigger deal to them than some of the rest of us. Um, and I just wanna have a conversation. What does it look like to make disciples of this generation? So let's dive in. I wanna start with talking about some of the cool parts of Gen Z. I think it's really easy to, uh, when you're talking about the younger generations, right, a generation below you, just talk about all the things that they don't do right compared to your generation, right? They're, when I was a kid, we didn't have time to worry about fill in the blank, right? Or if my dad would have caught me doing this, he would have beat me within an inch of my life, right? You know what I'm talking about? We have this tendency to look at the younger generations and like, oh, look, they don't deal with real problems. But I'm guessing if I went to each of you and like said, what would your grandparents think about the world you lived in? Your grandparents would probably be able to say that your world was pretty soft too, right? Is that fair? So let's, let's acknowledge that just because the world is different today, the needs and the, the struggles of young people are different today, that doesn't mean they're any less valid or any less real than the other generations before us. So let's dive in. This generation, one of the coolest things about this generation is how they are success-oriented. Our Gen Z people today, whenever I was, when I was growing up, uh, we had a group of students who like really cared about schoolwork and like doing well and getting into a good college, and we called them nerds, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the people with tryhards at school? That's no longer like the exception. If you look at like the average student today, you will see people who are, are hardworking, driven, and ambitious. They have uh, great expectations for themselves. Uh, and not only that, they see, they see like the road ahead of them uh, being filled with some pretty big obstacles, right? They see things like, uh, Climate change, uh, like the whole energy crisis, what are we going to do about fossil fuels? What are we going to do with a world that is increasingly covered in plastics and the little microplastics, I think they call them, as it breaks down? What are we going to do with that? It's in our fish, it's in the oceans, whatever. What are we going to do about income equality? What are we going to do about the racial tensions? Young people today see all of these big obstacles and they have very high expectations for themselves. They, they see themselves as the people, like these are problems that were left to us, but we're, like, we're gonna be the ones 
who finally tackle these things. And I think that's really cool. We also see the second thing. Gen Zers are super diverse. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, the fastest growing generation is now multiracial. The, fat, or the fastest growing demographic of this generation is multiracial. That means that m- like m- what were minorities before are now becoming the majority. In fact, uh, fun statistic uh, for the last, since the 1700s, do you guys, does anybody know the most common name, common last name in America? Can anybody guess it? Smith. Yeah, I married one. They are all over the place. You can't get away from them. The most common name since the 1700s is Smith, but today it has recently changed. Do you know what the most common last name is now? Rodriguez. It's no longer Smith in America. I know, right? That's, that's a big change. That's surprising to a lot of us. This generation is being marked by the, the complete acceptance and even the elevation of non-white, non-male people in a way that has never happened in America before. And it's, it's really cool to watch. I'm, I'm so proud of our, our Gen Zers. So let's move on. The third thing is we see a generation that is digitally connected. You guys know what I mean by digitally connected? This is a generation that like they're going to school during the pandemic, whether or not they have to be in the physical building. The pandemic couldn't keep them down. They were not, they were not just adopted into this world of technology like most of us were, Right. Most of us in this room remember a life without the internet. But when the internet came around, we had to, you know, like adopt it. We were adopted in this world. We had to learn these things. But our Gen Zers, they were born into a world with the internet. It's like their first, it's their native language of technology. And it's really cool to see how it becomes like a, 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 like an extension of themselves. Like anybody in here ever had a problem with your phone and it's like, I can't find that one thing in the settings or my TV has been stuck on the Spanish channel for like two weeks and then your Gen Z son or grandson or granddaughter walks in the room and it's like, oh, well, you had to do with this. And it's like they magically fixed it in a moment, right? Generations ahead of them will make fun of Gen Z. It's like, you can't even change the oil in the car. And it's like, well, you can't even print a PDF. So, like, we're living in different worlds. It's okay that we don't have the same skills because they have, like, moving forward, it's going to be more important that they can speak technology than it is maybe that they can change the oil in their own car. So let's move on. The last one I want to talk about today, uh, Gen Z is a generation that is emotionally engaged. Let me say that again. Gen Z is a generation that is emotionally engaged. Where generations before them uh, would say things like, you know, life sucks and then you die, Gen Z asks, but why? Like, why does it have to be that way, right? Instead of crying on the inside like a winner, Gen Z is saying like, hey, let's actually deal with those things like on the inside of us. Let's not do the like emotional equivalent of putting a sticker over the warning light on our dash. Let's like address our, our mental illness, our like emotional health. Let's engage with these things. Young people are so much more willing to ask like, uh, how did this make me feel? Why, why did this thing make me feel this way? What, what will it make other people feel if I act in this way? We're so much more willing to ask these questions. And I think we see a, a generation that has so much higher of a compassion quotient than some of the generations before them. I think it's really cool to watch young people engage with, with some of these hard emotional questions that were taboo 
for a long time. And even though there are, there are great things about the, uh, this Gen Z generation, uh, if we're honest, uh, any, any, like almost any good thing taken too far can become a bad thing, right? There's a shadow side to a lot of the things that Gen Z is about. For instance, let's go back through these. To, for Gen Z to be success-oriented leads to a generation that is tired, anxious, and pessimistic. What I mean by that is we have a generation today that has just a, a crazy unhealthy relationship with being busy. They're doing something all the time. They're going from one thing to the next. They have no idea what it means or what it looks like to rest well and because of this, if you, when you poll Gen Zers, the number one negative emotion that comes back to them is tired. They're just burnt out. I'm tired. I'm anxious. I don't know what to, like, I, I'm just a big bundle of stress. And if you know a young person, you've probably seen this in them. We have a generation that needs to learn how to deal, how to have a healthy relationship with busy, with being productive, right? It's good, it's good to be productive, but when your value is in the things that you produce, what do you do when you run out of juice in the tank, right? We're called as followers of Jesus to find our value in who we are, who we were created to be, who Jesus is through us. But when we just find our value in what we do, man, that falls flat really quickly. And when I say they're... Uh, pessimistic. Uh, this generation, although they are really hardworking and success-oriented, it, it's kind of a large-scale version of preparing for the best but expecting the worst. This generation is, is growing up feeling like the system is rigged again, against them. We just went through this pandemic, and while the normal people are dealing with food scarcity and unemployment, right? People having to move in together because they can't cover rent. Well, while that's happening to the regular people, we, see, we saw the billionaire class double their net worth. They went from $2 trillion approximately to like $4 trillion. And it feels like the guys at the top of the system are rigging it against the people at the bottom of the system. They watch the, they watch the generation ahead of them try to go out into the real world, get a college degree, right? Like I said, all millennials, like millennials are out of college. They're, they're, doing, they're in the real world now. And they watch this generation have trouble getting any sort of traction in life. How many of you guys know a millennial who's had to move back in with mom and dad because they, for whatever reason, right? That's what they're watching. And they're not super excited about leaving home and going out on their own. We talked about a diverse generation. While diversity is really cool to watch, it poses some really big questions. How do we all do life Together, how do we all get along, right? When we're working towards accepting one another and celebrating our diversity, we oftentimes run into the fact that some worldviews don't really mix very well. And what do we do with that? How, and how can we live at peace with one another? There are big obstacles due to this diversity thing that we're seeing Move on, we see, a, we see a generation that's digitally connected. We see a generation that's overwhelmed and addicted. I'm pretty sure when I said digitally connected as a positive thing earlier, most of us in here were like starting our list, we're like, okay, yeah, might be some good, but what about this bad thing? And with the, like, if I said, what are the negative sides of technology? I bet almost every person in here 
could come up with a list. <laughs> I didn't see who yelled out Facebook, but yeah, that's sure, that's a negative side. Uh, the thing about technology, the thing about like social media or texting is what we're finding is when you get like a text on your phone or when somebody likes a post on Instagram or somebody shares what you do on Facebook, when we see that, when we get that little ding on our phone, that gives us a chemical dump in our brain, this stuff called dopamine. And fun fact, it's the same chemical, it's the same chemical dump that we get whenever we smoke, whenever we drink alcohol, and whenever we gamble. And on all three of those things, we have age restrictions because we understand that a, 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 a young and developing brain doesn't really have the capacity to deal with this kind of chemical dump. It's highly addictive. And if you've met an alcoholic, the odds are that they had their first taste of alcohol when they were young, right? And they found out, oh, I, here's, an, here's an easy way out from this negative emotion I'm feeling, right? Here's, a, here's a, a way to numb the thing I'm feeling. And we have just essentially opened up the liquor cabinet to young people and said, here, here's a way to cope. We don't think of it that way very often and it doesn't always play out that way, but at, at its worst, I'm pretty sure we've all seen somebody who's glued to their phone and they would, if you peel that phone out of their cold, or their, their hands, like they would rather die than give it up. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's, it's this crazy attachment thing. We, we've seen some of the negative sides. And uh, beyond that, we, we are seeing the effects of a like quantity of information over a quality of information, right? Over the last year, especially. I mean, how often have you seen somebody who's like, oh my gosh, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Where did you learn that? And their confident answer is, oh, I read it on Facebook. It's like, oh my gosh, who told you that was okay, right? We have flat earthers are coming back, right? We like some crazy things that it seems like we've moved past because of the way information is available and it's hard to sift through what's, what's valid and what's not. We have things coming back. And the last thing about this digitally uh, engaged world is it's not quite real. Even though we were able to stay connected, do school for a school year when we couldn't meet in person, I think we all realize that Zoom is not the same as real life. A FaceTime call is not the same as seeing someone and hugging them. And when we substitute this digital thing for the real thing, like, it, we all do this thing online where we, like, project version of ourselves. We, we project what we want people to see us as, and it's so inauthentic and dis, disingenuous, like there's obvious problems with this. Let's move on. The last shadow side of what I talked about. We have an emotionally engaged generation, but unfortunately, that's kind of led to us having an emotionally fragile generation, an emotionally weak generation, who, uh, a generation who needs things like safe spaces and trigger warnings, which it's good that we care about people's experience, but the problem is that growth rarely happens without resistance, right? How often do you like change your mind about something without somebody telling you the other thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, when, when we come together to discuss ideas, the thing that moves both of us forward is this, this rumble of like, here's what I think, and here's what I think, but I think you're wrong on this one. Did you miss this? I think you're wrong on this. Did you see this thing? Like, that, that back and forth is the thing that makes 
our conversations productive? And if we're too worried about what somebody thinks or is going to feel, we, we start to believe this statement. We say that if it's offensive, then it's probably wrong. We have a generation who mostly agrees with this statement. If it's offensive, it's probably wrong. And as followers of Jesus who believe at the core of our gospel that we are broken people who are separated from God because of our sin and none of us are good people and we can't have a relationship with God without someone stepping in and paying for our sin. Man, that is offensive to people. It's important that we are offended sometimes because darn it, the truth hurts. And in a world where we're too worried about offending people, we have a generation who has grown up saying if it's, if it's offensive, it's wrong. And that leads us to a world of relativism where you, you can have your truth, but don't, don't throw your truth at me. And, and, and we lose our, our connection with what actual truth is. Good things all have a shadow side if we take them too far. And, and this is the world that we are tasked with making disciples of young people today. This, gen, this generation, what their experience, this is the soil that we're trying to plant seeds of discipleship. And, and if we're being honest, as the church in America, we're not doing a great job. Almost every time I'm up here, I tell you this statistic. The students that we do have who are plugged in and engaged with our student ministries and our churches, 75% of them, give or take a little bit, are going to walk away from their faith at graduation. That means of all the students you see up here this morning, three out of four of them will not be here for the next stage of their life. And that's kind of been a trend for a long time with the expectation that when they have kids and settle down, they'll come back. But that is not true anymore. That trend is going out the door. And in fact, what we find is we have a rise of what's called the nuns. Have you guys heard of the nuns before? Not like Catholic nuns. Nuns is when you ask somebody their religious affiliation, they don't say Christian or atheist or what they just say is none. Like, I don't, I don't really even think about that. I don't have any answer to that question. That's the fastest growing demographic in this young Gen Z. In fact, Gen Z are most, more twice as likely as any other generation to say that they're an atheist. We're not doing a great job making disciples of this young generation, and I think that should bother us. I know it bothers me, it breaks my heart, and I know I've talked to grandparents, I've talked to parents who the deepest desire of their heart is that their children and their grandchildren have a, have a relationship with Jesus. And the reality is that's just not the normal thing to see anymore. And I think a lot of it is due to this assumption. I think there's a dangerous assumption that we've made as long as we've been, like as long as there's been a group known as the people of God, there's been this assumption that being around the people of God is enough to become one of the people of God. As long as there's been a people known as the people of God, we've made this assumption that just being around other people of God is enough to become one. You'll hear people say things like, I brought them to church every Sunday growing up. Why didn't it stick? That's, that's that assumption that as long as they're around them, they're going to become one of them. But I think 
we, we see all through the story of our Bible that that assumption is not true. In fact, we're warned in the very beginning of the nation of Israel, we're warned that the, the temptation is going to be to fall away. Deuteronomy verse, or chapter 6, verse 10 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kind of goods you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We're not living in the promised land. We're not, the, we're not even the people being talked about here. But this idea that when things are good, when you're living in cities you did not build, full of houses with goods you did not provide, drinking from wells you did not dig, when you're, when you're living in this world, the tendency is going to be to forget. The tendency is going to be to drift away from the faith. It's not going to, the tendency is not that if you're around it, you're going to become part of it. It's the exact opposite. And if you read the story, if you've read the story of the Old Testament, you do not see a, a group of people who are drifting towards God when they let their guard down. You read the story of, of a, a nation who is consistently drifting away from God until he like smacks them on the head with a hammer and gets their attention and then they come back for a while and then they go back to their default setting and they drift away again. We experience the same thing. The default setting is for us to drift away, not to drift toward. But I do think there is hope. I do think there is hope for us as followers of Jesus. We're not stuck with just young people drifting away from the church, but it takes intentionality. I think there's hope for us both as individuals, right? As, as, as mentors or as parents, as grandparents, there's something that we can do, uh, that we can, can implement like this afternoon. As soon as you leave this building, you can start implementing. There's hope for us as individuals and there's hope for us as a church. I wanna talk about both of those. Let's start with our hope as individuals. It's funny that when we get this warning in the book of Deuteronomy, it's preceded by the solution. It's like, do this or this will happen. So let's back up a little bit. This is Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. The, the solution, the hope that we have is spiritual conversations. Talk, talking about it with our kid is the hope that we're given in Scripture. If you want this to be a regular part of your young person, who, whatever the relationship is, if, if you want this to be a regular part of their life, talk about it. Make it something normal. Make it something that happens consistently. That's the hope that we're given. We're all capable of this. I know a lot of us think like when I talk spiritual conversations, it's like sitting somebody down and being like, all right. If Jesus came back right now, would you go to heaven? Like, no, spiritual conversations are anything that is spiritual, right? A conversation about defining success, 
That's a spiritual conversation. A conversation about the church and diversity, that's a spiritual conversation. A conversation about how to live and interact with technology, that's a spiritual conversation. A conversation about how to handle our emotions, how to be an emotionally healthy person, that's a spiritual conversation. We need to have conversations through the lens of our faith. And that's the thing that makes anything a spiritual conversation, right? You're leaving baseball practice. Practice didn't go well today. Well, why not, right? How are you feeling? How were your relationships with other people affected, right? How might you do it differently next time? What, what does being a Jesus follower mean to you in these moments? These are spiritual conversations. We can do these anytime we want, right? We'll come back to that a little bit, but I want to talk about our hope as a church. This comes uh, from a guy named Paul, if you've heard of him before. Paul uh, was uh, responsible for a, a good portion of our New Testament, and his instructions were to the church. Like, this is what it means for us to live as the church, as followers of Jesus, the body of Christ. This is what it's like for us to be the church. And Paul says this. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, here's the important part, to equip his people for the works of service. In other, in other translations, it says the works of ministry. Paul gave, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. The best thing we can do as a church for our young people is to engage them in the works of ministry. Not just to engage them as like consumers of the student ministry or just people who are in the building when we do church. The best thing we can do is to engage them in the works of ministry. And then you ask, well, what happens if we do that? Keep reading. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work." If we can engage our young people in the works of ministry, we're told that that is what leads to an unshakable faith, the kind of faith that is not blown back and forth by the winds of this world, the kind of faith that when they graduate and leave home, it will remain steady. The thing that we can do to best set them up for this is engage them in the works of ministry. So again, we'll come back to that, but I want to, I want to answer this question. How do we do these things? Both as individuals, uh, how can we have better spiritual conversations? And as a church, how can we engage our young people for the works of ministry? As individuals, uh, I, I, I just want to give you a, a couple tips, right? Talk to people, not at them, right? You've known somebody who just, just preached at you before, and even if you like, okay, fine, I'll believe that, right? You take that understand like that belief or thought, whatever it is, that is not nearly as lasting as something that we come to on our own, right? Uh, carrying someone else's belief does not last nearly as long as carrying something we've come to on our own, something that we own. Do you guys know what I mean? Second thing, ask more questions than you give answers. In the same line, the, the goal is not... Uh, 
The goal is not for us to have students who leave our, our, our student ministry stuff knowing all the right things. Let me say that again. The goal is not for us to have students who leave our ministry knowing all the right things. The goal is for us to have students who can think for themselves and process information. If I, I could sit down with just a list, this is the things you have to believe, and we could get them to parrot those off. But if they don't know why they believe what they believe, as soon as they come into contact with somebody who knows why they believe what they believe, right? They're gonna, that's what makes it so shakable. That's why we have students walking away from their faith. They don't have any connection to the why behind the what. So we need to start asking more questions than we give answers. The third thing is we need to be honest and vulnerable with our struggles. The best way you can build trust is to be honest about the things that you struggle with, right? The easiest way to, to break trust or create a, a, a dynamic where they don't trust you is to pretend like you're perfect, to pretend like you know everything, pretend like it's always easy for you to, to do the right thing. That's the easiest way you can make sure that they don't wanna talk to you when they're going through something hard. The best thing you can do is be honest about what's, what's hard for you or what has been hard for you in the past, even if it might not be today. And the last tip I have, is don't avoid hard conversations. Lean into them. The reality is doubts aren't the thing that kill faith. Doubts are not the thing that kill faith. The thing that kills faith is unprocessed doubt. Doubt that hasn't been worked through. Doubt that hasn't been spoken out loud. When doubt is kept on the inside, it festers like an infection and eventually it kills a faith. But when we can process it, we can work through it. When we have a safe environment to like say, hey, I don't know if I believe this right now. That's the thing that leads to a lasting faith. So spiritual conversation. If you're still like, I'm not sure, luckily for you, we have a class you can sign up for it outside. It'll be up in the loft. We're going to start next week. It's open to everybody. You don't have to have kids. You don't have, grand, have grandkids. If you want to be better at spiritual conversations, sign up for that darn class and come hang out with us. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to, we're going to practice spiritual conversations. We're going to give you some things to go home with. So sign up for that. That's the best thing you can do right now. And as a church, let me talk about what we're going to do as a church. As a church, we're restructuring our student ministry. I don't know if you noticed this, uh, but we have not had student ministry upstairs on Sunday mornings for a while now. It's, you know, we got that way because COVID killed it, right? But we didn't start it up again because we want to restructure our ministry around this idea of engaging, excuse me, engaging young people in the works of ministry. You probably have noticed that we have, we've had students serving on stage. You've seen them in the tech booth. You've seen them working around and Children's ministry areas, we just had a giant sign up for this last week or two weeks ago now. And what we want to encourage you guys is to, if you have kids, if you're a family, sign up to serve together. We have a ministry fair going on conveniently today. If you want to engage your young people in the works of ministry, doggone it, all you have to do is walk 10 feet out of any one of these doors and you'll start seeing ways that you can get plugged in. We want you and your family to be plugged in because this is the thing that leads to maturity and young people. So sign up to serve. Uh, and I want to end with this. There's, there was a John Hopkins study done a couple years ago, and they wanted, to, they wanted to understand how you can raise reading scores and math scores in schools. What, what, what can we do to raise our test scores with our students? And they found out that the one thing that had a disproportionate advantage in everything else 
was one-on-one mentoring, like one-on-one tutoring. And you would expect that when they did that, the person who was tutoring needed to be like an expert in math or reading or whatever the thing was. And what they found out is the person didn't really need to know anything about the subject they were doing. The thing that made a difference in these young people's lives is sitting across the table from another human adult, looking in their eyes and seeing the expectation that forward progress is possible. They just, young people just need someone who believe in them. They need somebody who's willing to engage with them in these things like spiritual conversations. And I believe that you guys can do that. I believe that this kind of growth, like the thing that moves our young people forward is not having all the answers It's not being perfect in our conversations. It's being willing to engage and and care about them, to to show them that you believe that forward progress is possible. So that's my challenge to you this morning. We pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to work with Gen Zers. God, they have a lot of obstacles and hard things ahead of them. But God, we know that you are bigger than any of those things. We know that if the church were to step up and listen to what you said, we can see a generation move in the direction of you rather than continue to drift away as they are now. God, I ask that you will light a fire in the hearts of our people here at CCC, that we will, we will burn with this passion to, to help our young people meet you and develop a, a life changing relationship with you. I pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.